Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning and you would, find 2 Samuel chapter 12. <clears throat> As you're finding that, I just would like to remind you today, uh, which should need no remembrance, uh, to take some time to remember and reflect on uh, what 9-11 means to us as a country, to those who uh, gave their life, uh, those who have served. Uh, but I'd also like to remind you, not just to remember uh, what happened uh, almost two decades ago, uh, but also to remember September 11th of 2012, uh, when uh, four Americans gave their life, the United States consulate, and the United States government did nothing to save them. And so I just ask that today you would remember um, where we are as a country, where we are headed, and that we need the Lord desperately. And um, today I want to talk to you again about God's plan to restore. Uh, we started this last week in chapter 12, looking at how when God wants to restore, He sends a messenger with a message. Someone said to me, Jake, don't you know that God's plan to restore is not good English? It should have something after it. God's plan to restore you. God's plan to restore. But I believe that is left that way in my mind so that you know what needs to be restored in your life. Maybe today it's your marriage. Maybe it's today it's your family. Maybe it's today that you are a believer, but you are struggling and stumbling in sin. And so God's plan to restore whatever is in your life that is broken there are two things I want to show you because I want to show you what it keeps us from being restored. And they are blind spots. And the first picture that I have, if I put it up there, most of us are familiar. A blind spot in a car. There are certain areas that you cannot see. And if you just uh, get over in traffic, someone is going to say words to you that you should not repeat. They're going to give you hand gestures that you should not imitate. Uh, if you are like me and have now gotten so fat that it's challenging to turn, uh, those blind spots are even more difficult. Uh, but blind spots don't just happen in cars. Uh, if you've ever been in a hospital or a nursing home or anywhere that they transport people, you've probably seen something like this next picture. A blind spot mirror. Literally, it is there so that two uh, traveling people, as they're coming through a corridor, uh, do not run each other over. And so those blind spots are dangerous. Those blind spots can be deadly. And today I want to talk to you that God's plan to restore your life will be hindered when you refuse to see the blind spots. And so if you would stand with me, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 just to remind ourselves of the setting of what's going on. Starting in verse 1, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock 
and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And so God had sent Nathan to David with a message. And today we're going to look at David's response. Pray with me. Father, I just come to you this morning, Lord, asking that you would work, you would move, Lord, that you would be the one to communicate with your people through your messenger. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would work and move in this congregation. God, we just pray that you would do things that only you can get the credit for. Lord, we pray that you would work in a mighty and powerful way to your glory. Lord, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so David had heard from the Lord. He had a messenger sent to him with the message. And the question is, what now? And friends, this morning, you and I, we are privileged uh, to be able to know that we have a God who wants to reach us, who wants to work in our lives, who doesn't want us to be confused and chaotic, but he wants us to know what he has in store for us. But I want to show you this morning. And the first thing is this. We all have blind spots. We all have blind spots, even if we don't admit them. Sometimes blind spots are the sins that we are okay with being in our life. Sometimes blind spots are people in our life that we know are not good for us, but for whatever reason, we can't seem to shake them. Sometimes blind spots are, are uh, things that have happened to us. And so because of something that has happened to us, we cannot see things objectively. We can't see things through the lens of Scripture because this has happened to me. But we all have blind spots. You say, not me, Jake. I'm totally transparent. I'm totally listening to the Lord. There's no areas of my life that are, that are blind spots. I want you to know that you are probably in the most danger because you are not willing to admit that there are areas of your life that could be a problem. All of us have areas of our life. Sometimes work is a blind spot. We work too much. Sometimes stubbornness is a blind spot. Sometimes what we watch is a blind spot. We justify the areas that become blind spots. And so let's look here in verse 5 and 6 how David responds to this message. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. You see, what he's saying is, David is swearing by the Lord. As sure as God is God, as sure as God is alive, I will vow to make sure that this wrong is righted. And you know, most of us, as we read this story, we know what's going on here. We say, how could you be so blinded? But friends, if we're all honest this morning, we can look back in our life and say, what was I thinking? I knew that was wrong. I knew that person was wrong. I know I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have been there. But yet in the moment, we convince ourselves for whatever reason that it's right. And sometimes, not only do we convince ourselves that it's right, we are upset by the fact that other people are doing the same thing that we are doing. 
And so blind spots happen to all of us. But listen to what Proverbs, the 28th chapter in verse 13 says. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. This morning, you and I are all guilty of covering our sin for seasons. We can cover up our problems. We can cover up our baggage. We can cover up our fears. We can cover up our insecurities. We can cover it for a season. But God's Word says you will never prosper until you give your issues to the Lord. Not to me, not to a church, not to a confessional booth, but to Him. You have to get to a point, and I have to get to a point where, God, I know that this sin is rotting me from the inside out. God, I know these fears, these failures are rotting me from the inside out. And this morning it says there in Proverbs that God wants you to have mercy. God wants to forgive you. God wants to change your situation. God wants to put you where He wants you to be, not in the mess that you're in. But this morning, blind spots are dangerous because you don't see what's there. Or in the instance of an automobile, you don't see what's coming. I was coming home from St. Louis one time doing a hospital visit, and I was just cruising down the interstate, you know, as people do. And I pulled out to pass a car, and there was a couple cars, and I got right up next to a vehicle. And they began to turn into my lane. And like all good people, I honked on my horn, slowed down, not a big deal, you know. I was probably eating at the moment, so I was more occupied by that. As the car pulled back in after almost running me over the road, I got right up next to him. And I just looked over, as we sometimes do. And I didn't flip him off, I didn't say anything, all right. But as I see one hand on the wheel, I see a second hand watching television. And in that moment, I thought, swipe, swipe. No, <laughs> we're not flipping them off. We're just going straight to criminal intent. But, um, but that blind spot was dangerous because one, they were careless. One, they were preoccupied. And friends, in our walk as Christians, we get preoccupied by everything. We get focused on other things. And those blind spots become deadly to us. Second thing I want to show you this morning about what keeps God from restoring this, uh, your situation and mine, is that God can see our blind spots even when we can't or don't. You see, David knew what his blind spot was. We looked last week from the Psalms when David said that he was rotting from the inside out, that he knew that it was wrong, that he knew that he was struggling, that it was sucking the life from him, but yet did nothing. And so sometimes, friends, your blind spots are that. You genuinely have lied to yourself so much that you don't think it's wrong. That's why we see in cities like Chicago, St. Louis, New York, if you go to any church within a 20-block radius of uh, Wrigley Field, you are going to see churches full of rainbow flags on the Lord's Supper table behind their choir lofts. Why? Because we have convinced ourselves that sin is not sin. But sometimes it's not that we don't recognize it, it's just we won't admit it. David knew it was wrong. David knew it was eating him alive, but he did not do anything about it. And then he even got angry 
when someone else did the same thing with an animal that he had done with a person. Let's read verses 7-9 through as Nathan explains to David his sin. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And don't miss this next line. And if that had been too little, I would have also given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in His sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Don't miss this. I am not a prosperity preacher. I think prosperity gospel is sin. But did you not see what God said? I have given everything you could ever want. And if it wasn't enough, all you had to do was ask and I'd have given you more. But he said what you shouldn't have, you wanted. Friends, this morning, I hope that you'll see this. I believe that we serve a good God. A God who is a giver of good gifts. The Bible talks about that all good gifts from Him. I believe that God wants to do much more in our life than we allow Him to. You say, Jake, I don't agree with that. That's all right. You can be wrong all day. It doesn't bother me at all. I believe that. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. I believe that's what we see here. But friends, what gets us in trouble is when we want the things that God has said we cannot have. When we know the Word of God says you can't have that, you shouldn't have that, don't have that, but then we want it. It started in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. It goes throughout the entire Old Testament. And friends, it is true in Jacob Gray's life just like it is yours. Friends, this morning I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to be thankful for the things that God has given you. And if you have need of something, to ask Him. And to ask Him and to approach Him boldly. But friends, when the Word of God says no, there is never a time when God says yes. You say, well, Jake, you know, I really love her. The problem is she's married to someone else. Or I really love him, and he's married to someone else. I just feel that God wants us to be together. Look up here just for a moment. God said, no, I don't care how you feel, how you think, what you want, how emotionally you are driven, how kind they are to you at work. Look up here. God said, no, no. Why? Because God has given them to someone else. You might have missed your chance. Maybe that should have been the case. Suck it up, buttercup. You say, Jake, I just really need some money right now. I just really, things are tight. Things are difficult. I really think I, if, I just, if I just cheat on my taxes a little bit this year, I'll make up for it next year. Look up here. God says, no. Why? Because His Word says it. Trust Him. Trust Him in the difficult moments. Trust Him in the challenges. Trust Him because God knows your blind spots and He knows mine even when we won't. Admit it. And that's what Nathan says. He says, you've done a wicked thing. You have done evil in God's sight. Friends, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible tells us that this is the one point in David's life that he had totally and completely displeased God. Why? You say, why is that? Well, one, 
Because God had given him so much, but it was not enough. Now don't miss this. You say, well, Jake, it's about the adultery. It's about the affair. It is. But what God really says here is, I gave you everything and it wasn't enough. Think about Adam and Eve. They had everything, but it wasn't enough. And friends, in our life, if we do not learn to be thankful and to be content with what God has given us, we will never have true joy. We'll never have true peace. Why is it that Americans are drowning in debt? Because they're not content with what they have. Got to have a newer car, a bigger boat, a fancier camper, a nicer house. We can't be content with what we have. And so we work our whole life to pay for stuff that we don't need to impress people that we don't like so that when we die, they can come to our funeral and say, boy, they had a nice whatever it was. Friends, we need to get back to being thankful for what God has given us. To live a life of, God, I am thankful for you. God, I'm thankful for what you've given me. And Lord, I'm going to be faithful with what I have. And I'm going to respect what God gives other people. Now see, this is where this gets really uncomfortable for everybody. Because David should have respected that God gave her to Uriah. But he wasn't. You say, well, Jake, I would never take something from nothing, but boy, I sure like to complain about how they've got it so easy. How many times have you heard someone say, well, the rich get, poor get? That's not set out of love. That's set out of discontent. We literally have a political party in America today, and you, don't, you can take it's political if you want, but would love to take everything you've worked for and give it to people who won't work. Friends, it's sin. We see it right here. It is embedded in who we are. And friends, this morning, I want you to see that God doesn't honor it. And God won't bless it. In your life, in this country, you need to be thankful for what God has given you. And remember the song, little is much when God is in it. Friends, you've got to get to a point in your life where, God, I don't have much, but what I have is enough. God, I don't have much, but I'm thankful for what I've been given. And if God gives you a bunch, you be thankful and be generous. And you be content with what God's given you. Third and final thing that will keep you from being restored in the way that God wants you to. First was we all have blind spots. God can see our blind spots. And third and finally, God does not want our blind spots to destroy us. I don't know about you, but I don't have a vehicle that's new enough that has one of those thingies on your blinker that tells you that somebody's next to you, right? I just swerve out in front of people like I always have, all right? And, uh, but in new cars, literally, you, you go to turn and if there's someone in your blind spot, it flashes. You go over the side of the road a little too much, it'll bring you back on the road. And friends, the warnings that we get for our blind spots, the warnings that God give us are not to destroy us. You see, we think of correction as a bad thing. We think of God showing us our faults as cruelty. But God knows what sin will do to your life. And God knows the pain that it will cause. And so God does not want your blind spots to destroy you. And so look here in verses 10 through 15. And we're not going to spend much time on it because we're coming back here next week. Now, therefore, so he tells him, this is the consequence of your sin. Now, therefore, the sword 
shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Can you imagine that? If God reached down and said, there'll never be peace in your home. And not just no peace, but actual physical violence, war, death, and destruction. And have taken Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. Not that the enemy's outside the gates, but he's inside the home. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. See, God says, here's judgment. You have done this and this is going to happen. But I don't want you to miss this. In verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. However, this is why we're coming back next week. And if you're not comfortable with this sermon next week, you know it's coming. Please stay home. However, because by this deed you have given a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. You see, this morning I want you to see that sin always has consequences. It doesn't matter if God forgives us eternally, and He will. There are always earthly consequences to sin. Friends, you can break someone's trust. Share something about you, them that you, they shared to you in confidence. You can ask for forgiveness and God will forgive you and they will forgive you. But I can promise you if they are not a dumb-dumb, they will never share something with you again. Friends, if you spend all your money and go bankrupt and you ask God to forgive you, He will forgive you. But friends, I can tell you, even though the government might let you write some of it off, it's going to follow you for at least... Seven years. Church, I want to say this because I believe a church gets one opportunity for every generation to reach their community. And then when things happen, it spoils the water for a generation and then sometimes God gives you another one. If we live in sin and are not the church that God wants us to be, He will use someone else. He will use someone else. You say, why? Can we be forgiven? Absolutely. But there are consequences to action. Ask every church that split, fired a pastor, had a deacon board fall apart. There are consequences to all of it. Can forgiveness happen? Absolutely. But the consequences are sometimes greater than you and I want to acknowledge. You say, Jake, are you telling me that this child died as a result of David's sin? Absolutely. And I'm going to talk about this next week, so just bear with me. But the Bible says that one generation will not die for another generation's sin. Well, if you really look at that and study it, it's talking about eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. I am not to send to hell for anybody else except for my sins. I do not go to heaven by any other way other than my relationship with Jesus no matter than anyone else. Multiple generations have died because of their parents' sin. Think of those in Germany whose parents decided to wage war on Europe. 
the children that were collateral damage. Imagine the families in New York City on 9-11 because of some terrible, wicked men and their sin killed men, women, boys, and girls. And so you and I can do things. Be in a drunk driving accident and kill a child. That, the Bible doesn't teach that does not happen. What the Bible teaches is you will not be judged based on your parents in God's eyes. You have a clean slate. You will either respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and experience forgiveness, or you will die a sinner in rebellion against Him. And what we see in this passage of Scripture and I believe in an age of accountability, I believe that David makes it clear that he cannot be brought back, but that David could go to him. And so, friends, I believe that you and I need to know something, that while our sins will not send our children to hell, I believe they have a choice to make. You need to understand your sin and mine can have devastating consequences on the people that we love. You say, Jake, I just don't agree with that. Well, you're wrong. It says it right here. And David was told, the Lord also has put away. He says, God's forgiven you. God has washed you as white as snow. God has made you brand new spiritually. But because this deed you gave great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also has born to you shall surely die. Friends, this morning my prayer is this. For me. Is that my sin does not damage my children. You say, Jake, do you believe that this can still happen? I'm not wading into that discussion. That's something you can pray about and talk about and think about. But what I can tell you is this. I believe that your sin and my sin can tear apart our families. And devastate our children and their views on marriage. I believe how we treat our spouse can damage our children in the way that what they should expect when they are someday married. I believe as a church, if we embrace sin, if we turn a blind eye to sin, if we treat God half-heartedly, that the next generation will have nothing to do with Him. I do believe that. But what I do believe on an encouraging word is what Joel says in the second chapter. Verses 12 and 13. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. Friends, I believe even though we can do damage in our lives and to the lives of the people we love, that God can forgive. And God can take a situation that seems broken and hurting and painful and can stop the damage. You say, Jake, I've been digging this hole for years. Stop digging. Turn to Him. You say, Jake, I'm still facing the consequences of my sin. Yes, that might be the case but that doesn't define who you are. And friends, as people, we define people by their lowest. The biggest mistake they've ever made is what people will talk about you. 
your dumbest moments, your biggest failure. That's what people will know you for and remember you by and will talk about you. But look up here, God doesn't. Doesn't matter what they put about you in the paper, they put about you on Facebook, whatever they're whispering about you at the local restaurant, that does not have to define you. What God says about you defines you. And that is you can be forgiven, you can be loved, you can be made whole. But friends, it comes through Him and only Him. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. The fact that He died upon the cross for you, that He was buried and that He rose again. Friends, He is the one that can not only protect you from your blind spots, but He can forgive you when you fail. But I'm going to say something this morning, and it's going to get me in trouble, and I just don't care. You have to let Him. Some of you and myself love our blind spots. We love the fact that it's there. We love the fact that we can put stuff there. We love the fact that it's going on and we don't have to think about it. Some of you have put people in your blind spots because you don't like them. <laughs> I'll treat them like they don't exist. Sometimes you have people in your blind spots that you know shouldn't be there, but they're there anyway. <laughs> I've said this and I've heard other pastors say it. And I heard Dave Ramsey said, at our house, we don't missionary date. And at your house, you shouldn't missionary date either for your kids. You say, well, I want my kids to date someone that's not a Christian because maybe they'll win them to the Lord and maybe... Don't. Don't send your kids into the wolves. Make sure they date believers. Not church attenders. Real believers. Let them be soul winners after they're married. Or let them be soul winners to the friends, but don't let a missionary date. Be involved. Why? Because I don't know if you know this or not. When you're about 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I don't think anybody should date to their 18, but no one listens to me. So, but you will make some bad decisions on some bad information. Starts with this. Oh, they are so beautiful. Oh, he is so handsome. Then it's like, what does he drive? What does she drive? Those are the decisions that you begin to make. And I don't know if you know this or not, Young uh, high school kids, just look around to the room. Most people age like milk, not wine, okay? <laughs> if you date for looks and stuff, you're going to be unhappy at some point. Now you're saying, did you just call us all ugly? No, I did not. I said some of you have aged like milk. But friends, I'm telling you, God's people have got to get back. To saying there are dangerous things in this world. There are dangerous problems in our life. And friends, sin will ruin everything if we let it. But we don't have to. We don't have to. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I just pray that, God, you have spoken, not me. Lord, I pray that your word would do what it can do. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, this morning that you have convicted. That you've encouraged. Lord, for that person that's here today that's lost, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit is working and moving in their life right now. God, that you are showing them of their need for a Savior. God, that you are bringing them to yourself. Father, I pray that you give them the courage to make today the day that they call upon you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church 
God, to seek your face, to, to really deal with those blind spots. God, to deal with the secret things, to just follow you with our whole hearts. God, I pray today for the hurting in this place. God, I know there are so many who have burdens and struggles and cares. And God, today that you'd speak to them. God, that you'd encourage them. God, that you'd send relief to them for your glory. And so, Lord, during this time of invitation, Lord, we just ask that you'd move in hearts like only you can. Not the words of a preacher. But God, as you move. And God, I'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you